I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 80. If you're a new listener, a first-time listener, or new to the podcast, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. And I say that at the beginning of every episode, just as a reminder, not just for you, but also because I know I need to be reminded every day that it is my responsibility as a Christ follower to set my mind on things above. I like to quote Greg Boyd, who said, Mind discipleship is the most important kind of discipleship. And I think often the one that is the most neglected because we think, well, I need to go do this and do that and that sort of thing. But tending to our minds, what goes on in our minds is important. Dallas Willard said, we live at the mercy of our ideas. That's a big statement. We live at their mercy and they can run and often ruin our lives. So we want to set good things, things above, into our minds. The thought from above for today is this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So it was on August 8, 1980, that I stepped into what I would refer to as immersion in Trinitarian reality, which I talked about in the last episode. And off I went to college, and when I got there, I ended up becoming a part of a campus fellowship. And that was kind of new to me because I didn't really like church growing up. So being a part of a fellowship where they would sing and pray and read the scriptures and have something like a sermon was not my cup of tea. But I really liked being with other Christians, so I kept going. And one of the guys in the fellowship who I'd known before, uh, I went to college, he said, hey, do you want to join us in this, um, this Bible study? And that was new to me as well. I'd never been in a Bible study. And they were studying Romans, which, you know, in the last episode I talked about Romans. So there I was, this new Christian, and I'm with these really great guys, two guys that I'd known before, and then a guy who led the campus fellowship group. And so we'd get together and pray and read the scriptures and and talk and share about our lives. And at a certain point, uh, one of the guys in the group said, Hey, um, I've been praying and discerning, and I had to go, what's that mean? And he said, you know, that's asking the Spirit for leading. And the leading that I have is I, I feel led to ask you, Jim, to share your story and to give testimony at the campus fellowship. And I was like, well, I, no, that's, that's way above my, my pay grade. I've, I've only been a Christian a few months, and I don't think I can get in front of a group of people. and. I have no idea how to do it, so no. And he was really persistent, and he he asked me again the next week, and he didn't let up. And finally, I said, "Okay, if you, uh, this seems important to you, and you've discerned it, because that's what Christians do." And so I said, "Okay, I'll do it." But then I said, "I don't know how. Like, what? What do you do? I've never done this." And one of the guys in the group said, "Well, one way is to just share your story," and that's always really great. We love hearing people's story of how they journeyed into faith. I said, okay. And then another guy, he said, well, and also, is there, is there a Bible verse that was real meaningful for you, Jim? And I said, we, you know, actually, a verse that I just think about a lot is, is uh, Psalm 119, 105, which is, and I, I, I had a King James Bible back in the day, which is, 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I really like that. And they said, well, well, if that verse is important, you just talk about that. Talk about, you know, why that verse is meaningful. So at their direction, uh, when it was time, a few weeks later, I got up in front of the group. They introduced me and then I shared my story of coming into the faith. And I talked about Psalm 119, 105. And I had no idea really, if, if it had been just an absolute dud that no, no one, you know, they were Christians and they seemed to be nodding and listening because they're nice. But I got back to my room that night and there was a knock on the door and it was these three guys from the Bible study and the leader of the campus fellowship. And um, they looked super serious and they said to me, well, we need to talk. And I said, okay, I mean, all right, guys, you look really serious. And they said, we believe you have gifts for ministry. I said, oh, oh, you guys are, you're bad at discerning if that's what you've been doing, because that's not my calling. That is, I mean, that is not what I'm, I, I'm going to be, I hope one day, maybe a, a high school English professor and a, and a coach, because I love sports. I'll probably coach basketball and maybe tennis or something. That's, that's my future. And they're like, hmm, we just really think that. And I, was shocked. Well, they were persistent just as they'd been to get me to agree to speak at the campus fellowship. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I st- as I started praying about it, it was like I was opening up to this idea, but I kept thinking, I am the last guy to do this. I, I should not do this. And here's why, because I was completely unqualified for any kind of ministry. I mean, on, on paper, I was, first of all, an average student. I graduated of a class of 600, big high school, my, my graduating class of 600, and I was literally 300th. They had a list, and one of my friends pointed out, Smith, you're like 300. You're the dead middle. You're, you're Mr. Average. And, you know, I hadn't attended a Christian school. I hadn't been active in a youth group. I didn't really care for church. And so, my desire to explore ministry seemed crazy. And in fact, it was a source of humor for some of my high school friends because, you know, eventually they're going to be, I, I changed schools. I ended up leaving the school I started attending. I went to a Christian school, went to Friends University where I've been a long time as a professor. But when I made the switch, a lot of my friends were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to go to this Christian school. <laughs> and why? Um, I don't know. I might think about ministry. And the reaction was actually laughter. They would be like, oh, you're, you're kidding, right? And I said, no, no. Well, I did, you know, begin studying in earnest and taking incredible classes by incredible people like Richard J. Foster. And I was growing leaps and bounds. And the next summer I went back and I went back to my hometown and I started leading a campus fellowship, and guess what? A lot of those friends who at one point were kind of like, this is weird, they started coming. And I started going, wow, I think, I think this might be the right thing, but I'm still not sure. So while I was going to Friends University, I would occasionally on some weekends go up to Salina, Kansas, which is an hour north of Wichita, where my sister and her husband, Scott, so my sister and brother-in-law, who I love dearly, were just an hour away, and I would sometimes get away and go hang out with them, and it was fun. Now, my sister and brother-in-law 
were always active in the church. They'd grown up in the Methodist church. They went to to youth group. They were active. And to this to that day, where the, then at the time, they were still very active in their church, sang in the choir. And so they weren't, they didn't think it was crazy. And uh, But I remember a conversation that I had with my sister. And I remember saying to her, I just feel so incredibly unqualified. And she shared with me a quote that she'd heard before. And it goes like this. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Now, that was not her quote. And in fact, later I would try to find it. And just the other day, I was looking for it again. Like, I don't know who first said it or where to give credit. And I'm an academic and I like to give credit. So we're just going to say it's an anonymous quote. But it's still a good one. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if you think about it, it's very biblical. I mean, just, just look at the, the who's who of characters in the Bible. Jacob was a liar and a cheater. Peter had a temper. Moses, we know, stuttered. Paul was once involved in a murder plot. Jonah ran away from his call. Abraham was really old, and Lazarus was dead. And even if you look at some of the characters that we, we would lift up, within the scriptures, people that Jesus drew into ministry, like the, the woman we call the Samaritan woman, who doesn't even get a name. You know, she was so low on the, in the caste system, she'd been passed on, you know, this woman of, of kind of shame, really, in many ways, because of where she was in the socioeconomic system. And Jesus says, I got water, that, and you'll never drink again. And she's like, this guy knows everything about me. And she goes to her village. She proclaims Jesus to her village, her village gets up, ends up getting saved. So, I mean, she was unqualified. And, and the first disciples, my goodness, these guys were all uh, Hebrew school dropouts, because that's how it worked then. In Jesus' day, all Jewish boys would go to Hebrew school. And at every level, as they grew, um, they got weeded out, so to speak. If you didn't make the cut, you couldn't go on. And so we know that Peter and Andrew and James and John, for example, they were in their father's business, which means that at some point they were unqualified to keep going in Hebrew school. And that's just a principle that we see within the scriptures. And even Paul, who would call himself the least of the apostles, even though he had an incredible education, but because of what he had done, he, you know, involved in that plot in the murder of Stephen and so forth. He, and he wasn't one of the apostles in Jesus' lifetime. And yet, he becomes so important, right? He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He writes a significant portion of the New Testament. So, but Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one can boast in the presence of God, because he's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, this is how God works. God doesn't choose the qualified people. He chooses unqualified people in many, many ways. And I mean, Paul's even saying they weren't wise or noble or powerful or any of those things. But God takes that and 
does something within them. Because as he says there at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29, no one can boast. See, the problem with people who think they're qualified is that they're going to make it about them. They're going to make ministry or any kind of work in the kingdom about them. But God takes each of us and makes something of us that we could never become on our own because God wants his power to work through our weaknesses. Have you ever felt unqualified? Well, that's a wonderful thing if you're in your head going, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I felt like God's asked me to do things and step up and be a part of something. Maybe it's not a big thing. Maybe it's, uh, as Zechariah 4.10 says, maybe it's just the small things. It's the things that, that, but I felt called to do some things. And I felt like, yeah, maybe I was unqualified. Good. Because that's where God's power really works. It works within our weaknesses. God does not call the qualified, but he does qualify the called. He calls us in our weakness, but then he fills us with the one ingredient that is most important, and that is a passion for God and his kingdom. See, that was the one thing that I suspect my friends back in the day in college, when they said, we think you might have gifts. The one thing that I will say they probably saw was that I was passionate about Jesus. My life had been so radically changed that that's what I I most wanted. I wasn't qualified. But what then happened afterwards? That's the second part of the quote. God qualifies the called. And let's look at Paul again. What What a great example we have in Paul himself. So here he is, though he had an incredible education, studied under Gamaliel, he was, you might have said he was sort of an Ivy League kind of Pharisee. He was, he was super educated, but he completely missed it. He completely missed on Jesus in a big way. But he gets knocked off his donkey on the way to Damascus, and Jesus is like, hey, you are wrong, Paul. I am Lord. And Paul ends up going to Damascus, to the street called Straight, meets a guy named Ananias who puts his, lays his hands on him and Paul's blindness is healed. But then what happens? See, a lot of people don't maybe even know what happens after that. What happens after the Damascus incident is not that Paul immediately goes out and starts ministering. No, what Paul did, and we learn this, and you can look this up yourself if you want to study. It's pretty cool. In Galatians 1, beginning around verse 11 to, to, to 2.10, in that portion in Galatians, he describes what would happen to him. He retired into, well, it says Arabia, but it was really like Jordan. Um, but he goes off into the desert. He goes into the desert to study the scriptures. That's really all we know. He went to study the scriptures. And uh, he was there for three years. Now, that's important because Remember, the disciples got three, they were unqualified guys, the Hebrew school dropout guys. They got three years with Jesus, and they barely got it. And even even after the resurrection, they were still like, I think, is this what it is? And then they got it. Those three years of preparation shaped them, molded them. That's how Peter could become, you know, get his nickname of Rocky. That's how he could become the guy that Jesus would build a church on. It was the time. It was the struggle. It was the suffering. It was the learning. And that's what Paul was doing after Damascus. That's what he's doing 
in his three years in the desert. He's studying. And remember, he's studying. When, he said, when you say it's studying the scriptures, it's not the New Testament. That hadn't been written. So he's reading what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and seeing Jesus in the whole book, in the big, magnificent story, as I like to say. He's seeing the Christ, and that's the Greek word for the Messiah. And he's going, wow, I see it all now. And then Paul can go and proclaim Christ. And years and years of ministry and study and teaching and fellowship, and then years later would write Romans, which I spoke on in the last episode. The beauty and power and depth of Romans could not have been written earlier. It was that, you know, so God takes this unqualified guy, Paul, and then qualifies him. And through the years and the study and the growth, then Paul's ready to do it. It's such a beautiful biblical principle. God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Jim Elliott was a missionary who was martyred, and and his story is very profound to me. And he said a lot of great quotes, ones that have moved me. But one of them is, he said, missionaries are a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt a somebody. That's a good one. Missionaries are just a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt a somebody, meaning Jesus. Missionaries will never show you their credentials. And they're going, here's my, my incredible pedigree, why I'm doing it. They just, they're, no, we're a bunch of nobodies. But we're exalting a somebody. That's that prerequisite for ministry. And Chuck Swindoll, I love Chuck Swindoll. When I was in seminary, Chuck Swindoll, man, I'd listen to him on my AM radio at night. And he said, he's such a quotable guy as well. But Chuck put it this way. He said, God says, I choose the nobodies and turn them into somebodies. I choose the nobodies, God says, and I turn them into somebodies. See, that's that calling the unqualified, but then qualifying the called. But as I said earlier, you have to be a nobody because somebody's, man, the temptation will be to exalt themselves. And that's the opposite of what ministry is about. And I have to confess, I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, that there have been many times when I've experienced real failure in ministry, in my work, and without a doubt, the common denominator in those failures were that I began to think this was about me. Uh, I began to think that I was the one running it. It was my gifts, my skills, my ingenuity, my cleverness, my intellect, my education, whatever, whatever it was. Man, when that gets in the way, get ready for a failure. That's, that, that's the pride that comes before the fall, thinking that in some way I was qualified. No, I'm always, I'm unqualified now. Unqualified to be doing this podcast, but God has been qualifying me through many years of study, and it's the power of God. So that's my question to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in whom Christ dwells and delights. To what is God calling you? To what has been God been calling? And in one sense, that's odd to ask that question right now because we're thinking. Well, this is a real reset for life in the kingdom. You know, it's like, uh, what's happening? The, the church feels different to us now. Many of us are online. We don't know what that's going to look like. But I'll go on record here as predicting that the church, nothing will prevail, right? The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's people. But I, I'd like us to consider, as I'm considering, what does it mean in the next season? What, is that, what does that mean? 
I do know that God's going to keep calling nobodies and turning them into somebodies. I, I know that God's going to still call people that aren't qualified and qualifying them because that's the nature of the reality in which we live. But I think God is looking to rebuild the temple, if you will, in this, this pandemic, that it's like a, an old way of looking at life and ministry in the church. Many of things are changing. It's a big season of change, but the church doesn't change ultimately. I think it's a great time to ask, you know, to what is God calling me? And what am I going to do when I sense that call? How will I respond? Well, I hope you'll join me next week for a conversation, a Things Above conversation with Michael J. Cusick. He is a man of great wisdom and depth, and I know you're going to enjoy that. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith, and you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind, your answer will be, things above.